1: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba. We continue our season previews going team by team, all 30 teams around Major League Baseball to get you ready for the 2023 fantasy baseball season. We head back to the NL Central, to the Chicago Cubs, Wrigley Field, all the good stuff that comes with the Cubby Blue. And in order to break that down for us, we have a special guest joining the show. She's been on the show before, and she's making the rounds, and she is Miss Cub, as I named her before the show. You can find her at Bleed Cubby Blue, and she's on Twitter at BCB underscore Sarah, S-A-R-A Sarah Sanchez. How are we doing, my friend?
2: I am doing so well, and thank you for having me. I was just thinking that it's been just a few months since we met in person at First Pitch Mm -hmm. Arizona, and I was really looking forward to doing the show with you again, so I really appreciate it. Miss Cub is like maybe the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think it sticks. I like guess might need to be like a potentially new uh, Twitter handle or something, or like a background or something. Maybe you need to get a custom Cubs jersey with <laughs> Miss Cub on the back and rock that. It it, it fits you. It fits you very well. So, um, what do you got going on these days? Um, you know, we like you said, we saw each other in Arizona, which was an absolute blast. It's a must. And um, you know, you probably get getting busy now with pitchers and catchers reporting.
2: Yeah, uh, definite retweet on the First Pitch Arizona is a mess. It's the most fun that I've had in ages, and everyone was amazing. So if you're on the fence about going to First Pitch Arizona, you should go. Uh, if you're worried like me that you're going to be like an awkward turtle and not know anybody, it's, you do. You know everybody, and it's fun, yeah. Um, and it's great. Uh, I've got a couple of things going on. So, you know, pitchers and catchers for the Cubs reported today. So this is like a national holiday for me. Uh, writing over at BCB, working on – covering all of the off-season acquisitions, all of the, you know, backup middling players that Jed Hoyer has decided are starters because they're better than the 2022 Cubs, which we'll talk about in a second. And then um, I'm actually working on a, a lot of podcast stuff at the moment. So if if you follow like Vox News, SB Nation News, you know that a large portion of our podcasts over there got axed about a month ago. And the bad news is that we were one of those podcasts. The good news is that it seems like a, a solid crew of us are putting together an independent network that will house those shows. So if you like those shows um, and and you're looking for a place where you can get a lot of team content and whatnot, make sure you're following all of your SB Nation podcast friends um, because that announcement will be out soon. Nice. And it seems like there's a chance I'm going get, to get a fantasy baseball show out of this that I've been kicking around for a while. So stay tuned there. Make sure you're following me on Twitter if you're interested in that
1: miss cub talks fantasy baseball i can see it now it's going to be <laughs> glorious but uh that's awesome to hear congratulations it's, it's going to be really good because you you're great on the airwaves i've always enjoyed listening to you and talking to you so it'll be fun to get you out there more and more and um yeah people come to arizona simple as that um let's talk cubs now this is a team and it's i i live on, this is why it's, i wanted you on right away and i know i'm not the only one that had you on for cubs previews but like i live vicariously through your cub fandom when on, on twitter because you, you're you're you live it. You're there a lot at the games. You you are Miss Cub. That's why I said And so I wanted you on here because there is some fantasy relevance to this team. There is fantasy relevance to every team. That's just the way it works. But it has been a frustrating go of late, too, watching you and others through Cub Twitter to uh, experience it. So let's start with that highlight of the uh, offseason, potentially, is the signing of Dansby Swanson. You got him to come over here. We know what he did with the Braves. Very talented power speed guy. What are we expecting in 2023 as a new member of the Cubs now?
2: For the record, I love the Dansby Swanson signing. I like him as a guy up the middle for the team. I think he makes the defense better. I'm actually not sure he's the best defensive shortstop on the Chicago Cubs. I think that if you look at outs above average and dig into the numbers a little bit, there's an argument to be made that Nico Horner was a better defensive shortstop than Dansby Swanson last year. And it comes through the directions at which they got their outs above average. Dansby got most of his to the right. Nico got more to the left and back, right? Like, and those are the harder plays. There's some concerns about the arm strength that Dansby Swanson has. It's not particularly high. Via StatCast, I actually think he's one of the two or three lowest arm strength guys at that position. So, But either way, Nico and Dansby up the middle, mix them however you want. That is an outstanding up-the-middle defense, and I and the Cubs are going to need that. When we get to the pitchers here, you will see what I'm talking about. I, I like this signing for the Cubs. My problem with it is that if you want the Chicago Cubs to be competitive and beat the Brewers and the Cardinals, Dansby Swanson can't be your capital G guy. Like, he is better as a second or third or fourth best player on a team, not as the single best player on the team, which I think we would both agree unless there's a huge step forward from, say, a Suzuki this year or Ian Happ hits another level. That's what the Cubs expect him to be. He's supposed to be the capital G guy, and I'm just not sure... Dansby Swanson as the dude on any team creates a contender.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. It's going to be real interesting to see how that uh, that plays out for Dansby. I didn't even think of it that way, but it makes sense. He's technically the <laughs> I like this, the Capital G guy. I like that a lot. He is he's supposed to be the face of the Cubs essentially. Like he's what uh, you know Wilson was last year, what you know Javi and the crew's been in the past. He's that guy. So it will be interesting to see how that plays forward um, for the Cubbies this year. You know the ADP of 76 isn't too bad. But it, I just don't know what to expect from him as, you know, hitting in the middle of that Cubs order. We're not used to that. Usually you know, he's the top of the order, bottom of the order guy. Now he's supposed to be the guy, as you said. So it's, it's tougher for me to draft him this year. I'll say that much.
2: I think that the current ADP is a little high for me, because if you think about you're taking him 76 overall, which means you're taking him in a 15 team league, doing some quick math here, like right around the five, like six, six turn, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of guys who are guys, capital G guys <laughs> who are there and available at that moment in time, who have a better cast of characters around them. And, and the two things that I'm worried about with Dansby, one is that the strikeout rate is relatively high for a guy that you're taking at that point in the draft. I, it, it's not devastatingly high. It's like he goes 26.1, 26.2% in 2022. I think it's 24.2% for his career. Like those, those are not bad numbers. Don't get me wrong, but it's a, it's a Cubs lineup that strikes out a lot. Like, he's not the only one. Like, Ian Happ has a high strikeout rate. Like, there are two guys on this, in this lineup – we'll talk about both of them in a second – who have sub-20% strikeout rates, and it's Eric Hosmer and Nico Horner. So, like, everybody else is going to be highly volatile in terms of getting on base and all of those types of things. That's my first concern. The second thing is, if you had Dansby last year, you had him in, a, in the middle of an Atlanta Braves lineup that had – just a huge cast of characters always on base people for him to drive in people that were driving Dansby in and he is not going to have that at least for 2023 like you should anticipate the runs and RBIs going down 15 20 uh, in terms of those counting stats and that's not his fault like the Cubs just don't have that cast of characters around him yet so I think that 76 is a little high for me for Dansby I'm probably passing on him at that ADP.
1: Yeah, I haven't clicked the button yet this year. It's been a little tricky. I've been team Dansby for years. Just a little, little different situation, as you mentioned, for sure. You you mentioned Nico Horner earlier, and I know a lot of people are kind of high on Nico this year, but it it also depends on, I guess, what the Cubs plans are for Nico. Um, You mentioned second base, but you know, where's he gonna be in the order, a bunch of things like that. So what's your thoughts on Nico Horner?
2: I love Nico Horner. And I think Nico Horner still has another level to him. I was just talking to Ariel Cohen about this because I actually wound up in this like random DM conversation about projection systems and Nico because they don't, they didn't love Nico coming into 2022. I think we can all agree that Nico Horner put up a season that exceeded everybody's expectations for who he was and what he could do. And look, it's not. It's not a 20-home run guy. Like, he barrels the ball about 3.8% of the time. He's If you get 10 home runs, that's great. He hits line drives. He doesn't hit those towering fly balls that are definitely going to get out everywhere. But he hits the ball hard enough that he gets the ball over the outfielders, and they can't play him in shallow, which means he gets extra bases, and he's a speedy guy. He'll run. In fact, at Cubs convention this year, he was talking about how the Cubs are going to keep running. <laughs> You're, if you follow me on Cubs Twitter? You know that the Cubs ran into a lot of outs on the base paths last year, and they are not slowing down with the new stolen base rules. So you can get some steals from Nico, but you can also get some steals from this Cubs lineup. Nico strikes out about 12.2% of the time. He's one of those guys who is always going to be – in the mix on the base paths for them. I think that he's a good draft pick. I think that he's a great draft pick if you need somebody who can have second base eligibility, because look, I don't love him in the middle of those shortstops, but he's going to play second all year long and second base drops off. And I, I like Nico at least as much as I like like a Tommy Edmund who's going well before it.
1: I like that comp quite a bit with Tommy Edmund because we think of Edmund he's a steals guy, a little bit of power. That's pretty much what Nico is, and you're getting there a lot later. And another good point is, you know, on NFPC, shortstop eligible, he's going to gain second base within like a couple weeks, yes. so that that's a big big plus as well. It's a great call on that one. Um, something to, to keep in mind when people start drafting more aggressively here pretty soon. Ian Happ, man. I felt for him and Wilson last year. So I felt like they both were going to get traded, and they didn't get traded, and that's just a roller coaster of emotions. And then I just like Ian Happ in general. I think mean, he's a fun, good player, but he it seems like I think there's another level, but we don't know if he'll get to that other level thing with, with Ian Happ. So what's your thoughts on him in 2023, which is likely his last season with the Cubs?
2: Well, a couple of thoughts. The first is that as of this moment in time, we are recording on February 13th when pitchers and catchers report for the Chicago Cubs. Ian Happ is the everyday left fielder for the Cubs. And also, 2022 was the best single season that Ian Happ has ever put together. He's another one of these highly volatile guys because he has a strikeout rate that occasionally like balloons up towards the 30s, and then he starts reaching for pitches, and he hits ground balls all the time, and he's one of those dudes, right? 2022 was by far his best season. His trade value will never be higher than right now. Jed Hoyer last fall said that he not only doesn't want to negotiate extensions in the season, he doesn't want to negotiate them in spring training, which means the clock has basically already started on like, why hasn't Ian Happ been extended? And despite what Hoyer has said about like, oh yes, we want to extend Happ. We want to extend Nico, blah, 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 blah. blah. Like show me an extension. You have not done an extension with any of these dudes and the half one doesn't have rumors about it right now it does not look particularly close if that extension isn't done by the time the cubs start playing spring training games on february 25th i think i would look for ian Happ to be traded and if ian Happ gets traded then you're starting to look at trey mancini getting those reps in left field or you're starting to look at christopher Morel out there in left field and I look, I love Ian Hap. I would love the Cubs to extend him. I think he's a great player. I think he's still relatively young. I think he's a switch hitter. And he's slashed his K-rate over the years. So the power is light tower power. Like it's he hit one of the I think he hit the longest home run for the Cubs in 2019. That was a team that had Kyle Schwarber on it. It was a team that had Wilson Contreras on it. Like those dudes can mash. And Ian Hap hit a ball farther than all of them. And also, I am not sure why Jed Hoyer wouldn't trade him before opening day if he doesn't have an extension done within the next 10 days.
1: Yeah, that's interesting news right there because I figured, you know, at least we get to the trade deadline with him. But everything you say makes sense. If they're not going to extend him, then trade him like we said at his peak. Don't let him struggle out the gate and then he loses, you know, trade value. So that makes a lot of sense uh, to see where that one would go. And then that just takes into account where does he get traded to? How does that affect his fantasy value? There's a lot of questions to be had with Ian Happ, which makes it harder and harder to probably draft Ian Happ right now with so many question marks in place. So, yeah, we'll see. The strikeout rate has dropped, which has been great to see with him. the average kind of bounced back a little bit last year but yeah not knowing where he's going to play is a very interesting uh, situation to be in that's, that's interesting you mentioned seya suzuki earlier and this is a fun one you know he came out like a gangbuster last year and then kind of had some problems in the middle of the season between injuries and whatnot and then kind of got it going a little bit towards the end so what's your thoughts on seya this year? year's adp's 101 right now but there's a little bit of buzz about the guy
2: I love Seiya. I like him at the 101 cost right now. I think it might go up and then I might be out, but here's what I love about Seiya Suzuki. Yes, he struggled at times last season as pitchers adapted to him. Some of those struggles, incidentally, though, were umpire related. And and if you go back and watch Seiya... The, the umpires really treated him like a rookie last year in terms of the zone they held him to, and Sayo Suzuki knows what a ball and strike are, so he was not swinging at those pitches that were off, just barely off the plate when a veteran dude threw them, and he'd get called out on them, and he would just look at the umpire like, you've got to be kidding me right now. I saw Saya processing a lot of information every time he faced a new pitcher last season in terms of how they were going to approach him, what types of pitch mixes they were going to throw, and he had a little bit of a resurgence after his, uh, after he came back from injury, right before he left on paternity leave. And paternity leave for Seiya Suzuki last year meant going to Japan. That's a so long leave
1: then, yeah. That's that was not day a three-day day day. leave. Yeah. It was like,
2: a, I'm going to Japan and I'm going to be gone for the rest of the season. Nice. I truly believe Seiya Suzuki is going to put it together next year. And if you want additional backing other than my henches, there's a really good community graphings piece over at Fangraphs uh, from last March a guy named Hiroshi Matsushima, I think. I'm, I think I might have messed up that last name. I apologize if I did, because it's a really great piece, and I had not seen anybody do this before. So what he did is he looked at the NPB stats for players in their penultimate year in Japan, their last year in Japan, their first year in MLB, and their second year in MLB. Two things jump out. The first is that Seiya Suzuki in Japan was a better pure hitter than Shohei Otani. I'm not wow. saying he's Shohei Otani. I'm saying he put up a better OPP, a better slugging, a better ISO, like a better WRC plus, all the numbers that you want for pure hitter. Seiya Suzuki was a better hitter in Japan than Shohei Otani. Otani struggled his first season in -hmm. the States. He had injuries and he was getting to know stuff and da, 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 da. And then he came out in his sophomore season and just blew the doors off the place. I think there is a very good chance Seiya Suzuki is going to blow the doors off the place. And if he does, I am here for it because I love Seiya.
1: Well, you got me all hyped up now because uh, one of my co-hosts, Ryan Bloomfield, loves Saya this year as well, and I've been kind of like, okay, I get what you're saying, man, and all this stuff. But then you just brought information I haven't heard yet, so that gets me all jacked up on him because I liked him last year at his draft cost. It wasn't crazy, and it's the, the, and then he had the year he had, which was good but not great, like you mentioned. And his draft cost is already better this year, so it's like, huh maybe I'll have to do it. It'll, it'll be fun because he's going around that Taylor Ward time of drafts and he's he's a buzzy name right now. So it's like, do you Taylor Ward it? Do you, do you say a Suzuki? Kind of different players. But if you think about their ceilings, they're kind of similar players. So there's there's a lot to like about both of them, actually.
2: Yeah, I think in Sayas' case, you're probably getting a higher floor than what you're getting in Taylor Ward. But the ceiling is just like, I think that if you draft Saya tomorrow at 101, you're getting 20 home runs. You're getting 10 steals. As long as the dude is healthy, he's going to hit in the middle of the order and get as many RBIs and runs as anybody else for the Cubs. And he's going to play every day. There's a non-zero chance you're getting a 25-25 guy who just absolutely
1: True.
2: puts his stamp on the season. And that would be fun because I don't think there's going to be a lot to cheer for in Wrigleyville this year. So I, I could use a Sayah Suzuki breakout.
1: And he looks like he has the personality that would embrace Wrigleyville in a big way. Oh, he like, has, he, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he'd be so much fun there. Like, And that's the kind of stuff like you mentioned. If the overall team isn't great, you need somebody like that. He could be that that guy for sure. Um, now it gets fun, I guess, is the sarcastic way for me to say it. Eric Hosmer, new member of the Chicago Cubs. I'm not even a Cubs fan, and I felt bad when the Cubs signed Eric Hosmer. Now, twofold, and I, I know you'll mention this later, he is a good defender very good defender at first base and that gets kind of underappreciated in most fantasy roles about first base position other than that though what's your thoughts on Eric Hosmer
2: so when I was writing up the Eric Hosmer signing a friend of mine was chatting with me and was just kind of like hey what are you doing And I was like writing up Eric Hosmer signing with the Cubs he's like I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that is exactly right because Eric Cosmer is that dude who is just slightly above replacement level, but you can't get excited about it. I mean, Eric Cosmer epitomizes a lot of what I think the Cubs have done this year. They have made marginal upgrades on a lineup that was terrible, and they want us to get excited about that. And it's very difficult to get excited about, like, you turned Alfonso Rivas and Patrick Wisdom into Eric Cosmer, and I'm supposed to care. Like, I, I don't care, really. Yes, he's better than Frank Schwindel, I guess. Um, The the glove thing that you mentioned is interesting because Hosmer has been known as a good defender. Defense is actually not the place where he's an upgrade relative to the 2022 Cubs. Rivas was pretty good over there. Now, he couldn't hit, but he was a good defender, right? Like Eric Hosmer is actually a defensive downgrade for the Cubs, but an offensive upgrade for the Cubs. I think he's fine. I think that if Matt Mervis is actually ready to play and shows us that in spring training, Eric Hosmer's days are numbered. I also think that Eric Hosmer screens the type of dude that Jed Hoyer and David Ross like. He's yeah. a veteran guy who knows how to win and da, da, da. and like I'm just I can picture David Ross just penciling him into lineups while he's hitting ground ball after ground yeah. ball after ground ball and I, the fans are just tearing our hair out wondering why Eric Hosmer is playing today.
1: And maybe no shift will do him well with all those ground balls. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I, I feel I feel bad because if you look at, like, Hosmer's numbers, he can hit for a decent average with a lot of doubles and stuff, but that's not what you want. That's like when you have Matt Mervis sitting there that could hit 45 home runs. Like, like that's what you want.
2: <laughs> well, and, like, it's not like this team is competitive. It's exactly. not like if Nat Mervis spends some time in Triple A, the Cubs are going to play themselves into contention. I mean, I suppose the Cardinals could collapse or the Brewers could collapse or, like – baseball get a baseball crazy things can happen but like does anybody really want to see Eric Hosmer getting plate appearances over Matt Mervis we saw what Matt Mervis Mm -hmm. did Mm -hmm. across three different levels of the minors last season he cut his K rate and increased his power when he went from high A to double A he did it again when he went to triple A and when we saw Matt Mervis in the Arizona Fall League there was a moment where he had seven home runs and six strikeouts over the entire Arizona Fall League and that is that is stupid that is, was. just let the dude go play against mm-hmm. real hit, real pitching in Major League Baseball, and let's see what he can do.
1: Yeah, and then watching him in that home run derby, I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, he was doing things that, not right, not right with the baseball. Well, uh, one
2: more thing to say about Mervis. Uh, he did an interview here with Dave Kaplan, who's like a mm-hmm. local NBC Sports Radio uh, dude, and Mervis has a chip on his shoulder. Like, that dude is mad. Too that he did not get drafted in that short 2020 draft. And, you know, people are like, oh, how did the Cubs stumble on this guy? They did not. Matt Mervis made a li- – he had a spreadsheet. Eno Saris got this out of him, and I love it. He had a spreadsheet of all the teams and, like, their first base situation and what the depth chart looked like. And he, he literally, like, kind of picked the Cubs. He was like, well, I'm going there because nice. Anthony Rizzo's in a walk year soon and they don't have a guy and I'm going to make myself that guy. And I kind of love the the notion that Mervis came in here like, you didn't draft me, and I am going to make you respect me. And I that plays well at Wrigley, too. That's a Wilson Contreras oh, yeah. type of attitude, and I love it.
1: I like that a lot. I didn't know about that. That's I like chip on her shoulder, guys. That's one thing I really enjoy because they're really going to – nothing to lose out there, basically. So yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of that for sure. Uh, a guy I love. Uh, it's been an up-and-down go for him, but you love the story. We know the talent's there. I call him Trey Boo Boo. Uh, it's Trey Mancini, big fan of this guy. I kind of like the move to Chicago. Honestly, I think there's a lot of avenues for playing time for him. There's um, the ballpark could play in his favor depending on the wind, I guess that day. But uh, what's your thoughts on Trey Mancini? I know I, I don't expect him to be the 30-plus home run guy he once was going to be, but I think he's still kind of be serviceable. He doesn't cost a lot come draft day.
0: The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. That's sixty percent off at Babbel.com dot com slash bluewire. Spelled B A B B E L. dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply.
2: I like Trey Mancini a lot more than I like Hosmer. And if yep. the Cubs had just signed Mancini and not Hosmer, I would love actually the idea of like Mervis can play some first base, Mancini can DH some, you know, he can take a corner outfield position give half a day off, whatever. Like, I think that plays really well. One of the things that I was super excited about, if you go over to Baseball Savant and you look at Trey Mancini's spray chart, there's a solid number of doubles and triples that become home runs at Wrigley Field just because of that outfield wall shenanigans that they pulled over there in in Baltimore. And I think that plays. Like, I think that plays really well. Actually, there was an interesting conversation at CubsCon between Mark Grace, Cody Bellinger, and somebody I am blanking on about how unfriendly uh, Wrigley is to left field power or to left left handed power, but not to right-handed oh, right handed power. And I I think Trey Mancini could really benefit um, from some of that. But I I don't know. I just liked it. I like it better without Eric Cosmer there, too. I'm like, why do you yeah. need both of them?
1: <laughs> I agree. Uh, that was the confusing part. But maybe it kind of prelude, uh, goes to the Ian Hap trade potentials and and other things you mentioned that Hoyer's already put his ducks in a row. To, uh, to, to do this situation. And, and yeah, the, the Orioles shenanigans is annoying. Um, you know, x home runs aren't the end-all, be-all, but they're kind of a an interesting thing to look at. And he led baseball with minus seven differential between home runs and x home runs. That's in large part, obviously, to the Orioles situation there in left field. So he should get a little bit of a boost, I'd imagine. Plus more playing time because once he got traded to Houston, he was a, a part-time player. So could be fun with Trey Boo Boo. Get a little you know, 20 home runs or so from him I could see being a decent season. Cody Bellinger, you just mentioned his name. This is a guy that I just don't draft ever anymore because the guy that changes his swing every season does not make me feel confident in him. But I'm not going to deny there's talent there. There is. There's speed. He's a great defender. We'll keep him on the field. Eventually he'll probably have one of those years where like, yeah, that wasn't bad actually. I just don't think I'll be there for that. So how do you uh, how do you look at Cody Bellinger in Chicago?
2: I've never drafted Cody Bellinger because the price was too high, and then the underlying concerns were too much, and I just couldn't. Do, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I think that if Cody Bellinger's swing could be fixed and he could re- revert to 2019, Cody Bellinger, the Dodgers would have done that. I, I I don't trust the Cubs to fix a swing that the Dodgers couldn't fix. Now that said, there is that interesting video that you you have from Cody Bellinger, like doing some driveline work and. Arizona, and he's like hanging out with Matt Holiday, and he's like, you know, hitting hitting what look like looks like great contact. Everything looks great. I'm sure there is some muscle memory there and some way for him to be better than he's been the last two seasons, which is abysmal. I, absolutely abysmal at the plate. I mean, one of the arguments that I get in with Cubs fans a lot over at BCB in the comments section is they'll say things like, well, they upgraded offensively everywhere, so they're fine. I'm like, they did not because Cody Bellinger is a massive potential downgrade offensively over what you were getting from Christopher Morel and Raphael Ortega. Mm-hmm. And you may not like those two dudes out there for their defense. And I understand why you don't, but Cody Bellinger comes in with a WRC plus of 67 and you're going to miss Christopher Morrell playing center field, right? Like it's almost like they upgraded at second downgraded massively at catcher. And it's a big question mark in center field as to whether Cody Bellinger is 2019 Cody Bellinger or 2022 Cody Bellinger or something in between. And so I am not all that confident (laughs) about him getting every day at bats for the Chicago Cubs, The the glove will play. I will say this. He will never have a better incentive to put it all together one more time because it's a one-year deal and the Cubs are going to let him play it out. And so this is his shot to reestablish value. And if he blows it, he's going to hit free agency and he's not going to have very much value. So Godspeed, Cody Bellinger, go reestablish your value and bring the Cubs some trade chips.
1: Yeah, you you nailed one thing I completely like really, really, really agree with is if the Dodgers couldn't fix this, <laughs> who's going to fix it? Um, I, I don't root against any players. Like I'm hoping he figures it out for him because he was a good ball player at one time, but man, it's broken. It's broken for sure. Yeah.
2: I have to just mention this because it blows my mind. Like back in the day, we Cubs fans were all excited. We're like, we're going to get Bryce Harper. It's going to be incredible. The core is going to live forever. And then the Cubs were not in on Bryce Harper because they couldn't just possibly bring themselves to afford that type of contract. In 2023, the Cubs will, pl- will pay $39 million for Jason Hayward and Cody Bellinger. The Dodgers are going to try to fix Jason Hayward. The Cubs are going to try to fix Cody Bellinger. You're telling me you couldn't have afforded $39 million for Bryce Harper Plus instead of that? Like, come on. And does anyone believe that the Cubs can fix Cody Bellinger more than they believe the Dodgers can fix Jason Hayward? Just throwing it out there. Because right now, Trace Thompson is getting a lot of playing time for the Dodgers in center field.
1: Yep, yep. Wow, that is uh, some deep stuff right there. Oh, man. That a Cubs fan of Wrigleyville early. Um, Christopher Morrell. This is the name I know you're very pumped on. And I like hearing this because... If it was James Anderson or someone I heard recently talking about him, and I was I loved Morrell in the past, so I was kind of like didn't know what to expect. And I started drafting him recently, so I'm a fan of what we could get here. And uh, what do you like on Christopher Morel for 2023?
2: I like a bunch of things about from Christopher Morrell, and, and I'll be real honest about what the downside is potentially. So Christopher Morrell came up, he was not supposed to come up, he bounced from double A to the majors. He started his career with the Chicago Cubs with the longest on-base streak in the history of the franchise. Yes, going back to like the 1800s. The guy he eclipsed there is a player named Wilson Contreras, who had the longest on-base streak to start his career for the Cubs in 2016 when he came up. Christopher Morrell then got a little bit exposed. Breaking stuff and off-speed stuff, he struggled against them. I'm not going to lie. But here are some numbers for Christopher Morrell that should make any fantasy baseball player want to take a chance on him at his draft cost. His sprint speed is in the 88th percentile. His barrel rate is in the 91st percentile. His max EB is in the 88th percentile. His arm strength is in the 99th percentile. Those are not just skills. Those are loud skills. Those are, this is a five-tool player who got exposed against breaking and off-speed stuff when he came up straight from Double A. He is 23 years old. He's going to turn 24 during this season. If he gets playing time, there is a non-zero chance that those skills translate to not just a good baseball player, not just an everyday utility guy. Those skills translate to like Julio Rodriguez level skills. Like if you look at those percentiles on everything else, and I'm not saying he's Julio Rodriguez, so don't, don't be like he should go five overall or something. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you can get draft a guy in the 200s or 300s who has those types of skills, you should take a chance on it. Because if he maxes out, He's going to max out to a 2020 guy, and you're going to get that so late in your drafts.
1: Yeah, he's got an ADP of like 267 right now, which I absolutely love. He's second-base outfit eligible. Hint, hint, he's probably going to become third-base eligible, too. So that's another plus. Like, there's a lot to like about Christopher Morell. The more I dug into him this offseason, so I I like your ringing endorsement of him. Um, And the fact he's only 23, going to be 24, he's so young. Lots of ways to go. And if it's a rebuilding team, why aren't you playing the young players again? Just throwing it out there.
2: Well, this is this is my complaint about the current iteration of the Chicago Cubs, because at the end of last season, it really looked like the front office or David Ross or whoever was making those lineups could not tell the difference between Zach McKinstry and Christopher Morrell because they would just kind of trot them out in alternating fashion. And I was like... Can you not tell that one of these dudes is a quad A player who is never going to do anything for you and the other one can hit a ball 112.9 miles per hour and might be a 2020 guy? Like, I don't understand why you would split playing time between those guys. And so I am I am marginally concerned that the Chicago Cubs don't understand the difference between Christopher Murrell and Zach McKinstry and Patrick Wisdom and, like, all these other dudes. And if that's true, I mean, he might get traded. But honestly, if he got traded to a place that would play him I'm here for it because those skills are those skills play like you can't be in the top 10 12 percentile in the league and all of those skills and you're not a good baseball player
1: I love it I love it it's a ringing endorsement from Mr. Christopher morell let's talk Patrick Wisdom you just mentioned him a second ago we know the power is ridiculous like insane power strikeout rate is pretty ridiculous too when it comes to Patrick Wisdom like he's got that going for him he is a three true outcome guy pretty much you got that in in the books What's the outlook there, though? Because, you know, last year was kind of his year. It felt like to prove himself. We got mixed bags. Depends on how you looked at it. I've mentioned there's rumors Christopher Morrell might play third base. Who knows what else they put over there? So what are we thinking in 2023 for Patrick Wisdom?
2: Yeah, at the moment, I think that Patrick Wisdom and Christopher Morrell are in a competition for that third base spot. And, and I don't love that for either of them, honestly, because pa- Patrick Wisdom can hit 30 home runs over the course of a full playing season. He actually, he holds the Cubs rookie record for home runs uh, with 26. He got that record in 2021 after the Cubs traded their core. He did it in 324 plate appearances. He took that record from Chris Bryant. Like it is, it is absurd power and he hits the ball far, but like you said, that comes with a really high strikeout rate. So last season, his power declined a little bit. He splashed his strikeout rate like 6%. He still strikes out 34% of the time. The arm is good. The defense is good. And I'm not sure he's not going to lose that job to Christopher Morrell sometime in April or May. I mean, I'd rather see Morel get reps there than Patrick Wisdom. And word from my friends who watched a lot of Cubs minor league games is that Morrell's natural position is third base, that we just hadn't seen him there because the Cubs had somebody at third base. So I think there is a playing time competition between those two. My hunch is that Christopher Morel will win that playing time competition, but somebody is going to want 25 plus home runs, and and that makes yeah. Patrick Wisdom a very cost effective. He's still making the league minimum uh, trade chip for the Cubs when and if that time comes. And so I think Patrick Wisdom is worth 25 late home runs for you if you're willing to put up with the strikeout rate. I wouldn't do it in a head-to-head league. I would only do no. it in a league.
1: Makes sense to me. Um, anybody else? Like, what's the catcher's positions? You got Barnhart and Gomes, not overly excited with them. Is there, you know, Velasquez is a rumor to make the team. There's a little bit of speed there, but who knows how often he plays. Anybody else on the offensive side of things to uh, maybe look forward to this year?
2: No, not really. Aside from Mervis, who we already talked about, I will say that Jan Gomes prior to last season when he was a backup, um, he was a serviceable starting catcher not like the guy not like one of those top 12 15 guys that you'd want to draft but you could have them as a second catcher and it wasn't going to hurt you i think there's a non-zero chance that young gomes can still be a serviceable second catcher and he's gonna play um because mm-hmm. otherwise it's tucker barnhart um which god that hurts my wilson Contreras loving soul <laughs>
1: yeah yeah no i love i love young uh, gomes i was kind of mad when they signed tucker barnhart to be honest i was like yeah just let gomes do it for a year while they figured things out in chicago and go from there but We'll I see. think
2: they wanted to sign Christian Vasquez and I think that they offered Christian Vasquez the same deal that the twins offered him and Vasquez chose Minnesota. So that tells you what players think about the current iteration. Yeah. I wasn't going to say
1: they would, I guess that's a uh, kind of writing on the wall right there. Uh, let's go. We'll go from catchers to pitchers. Now let's go to the starting rotation on the Cubs. And it's an interesting rotation. You know, back in the day, we talked about Kyle Hendricks all the time. Well, he's not there at the moment. He's a little banged up. But uh, you still have Marcus Stroman, who I absolutely love the attitude with Stroman. Um, not a lot of strikeouts, but he, he's a warrior. He's a dog, as they say. Not the best of seasons last year, but I, I'm not too like overly concerned with that. What's your thoughts on Stroman for 2023?
2: Before I get into Stroman, let me just give you an overview of the entire Cubs pitching situation. Jed Hoyer loves number three starters. And the entire <laughs> Cubs situation is built for a rotation of number three to five starters who are contact heavy guys that don't strike out guys a lot to hit the ball in play into a defensive alignment. That is elite. That's the whole plan. The whole plan is that we want you to hit the ball and Cody Bellinger or Nico Horner or Christopher Morrell or Dansby Swanson will go run the ball down and you will be out. Uh, That's, that's it. That's the plan. So if you need strikeouts, this is not the rotation to look for them in because there are not a lot of strikeouts here but there are a lot of guys who are going to give you five to seven innings who are going to be given the chance to get a win who are serviceable guys. They're just, none of them are fancy, right? Like I think Jamison Tyon and Marcus Stroman are currently in a competition for the best pitcher in the Cubs rotation right now. Neither of those dudes would be the ACE in any other rotation in baseball, even the bad ones. And they are fighting it out for ACE status in the Cubs rotation. I mean, Justin Steele, we'll talk about him in a second. Lots of question marks there. These are, this is like, What if you just made a whole team out of Kyle Hendricks and and saw what happened? And that's what the Cubs have decided to do. The flip side of that though is really interesting because one area where I have to say the Cubs have improved considerably in the last few seasons is their pitch lab. Uh, And they have been developing a lot of serviceable arms, not stellar arms, not top of the rotation arms, not dudes who are going to strike out a lot of guys, but a lot of Keegan Thompson's, a lot of Justin Steele's, a lot of Javier Assad's, those dudes, will get wins they Mm -hmm. will not strike out a ton of guys they will get innings and they will get wins and if you're looking for that late in a draft you could do worse than some of those Chicago Cubs arms
1: interesting I like to take there because there's not the elite armors but very serviceable and most of them aren't going for a steep ADP which is good which makes it a little more palatable as they say
2: yeah. So you mentioned Stroman. I, I, I kind of approach this whole pitcher situation based on like who you'd be passing up or like who else you could get in the same range, because that is the global overview for all Chicago Cubs pitchers. We can get into whether they have a curveball or a slider or whatever, but that's yeah. like the whole the whole rotation is what I just said. Marcus Stroman goes 263 um, right now. The guys you're passing up to take Marcus Stroman are Eric Lauer, Jose Arquiti and Tyler Anderson. I don't know. That sounds kind of fine. Like Marcus Stroman is probably going to give you 150 to 180 innings. He's going to get you a bunch of wins. If you need K's, you might go for one of those other guys. But if you just need innings and wins, you could do worse than Stroman at 260.
1: Yeah. In that grouping, I completely agree with you. Uh, one of your new cubbies is Jamison Tyon. Definitely a pitch to contact guy. He eats a lot of innings, though. So that's one thing he does do for a rotation like the Cubs. That could come in handy. Um I've actually grabbed him late in certain drafts just for the fact that he will eat innings and uh, kind of get you decent ratios. He usually doesn't get you crushed in that regard, but he yeah, had no strikeouts whatsoever when it comes to Jamison tie on. So, uh, what's your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, exactly the same. He's going 247 right now. You're passing on Frankie Montas, who I have a bazillion question marks on at the moment because yeah, of his um, shoulder issues. I'm he's a do not draft
1: out. for me right now. Do yeah, not draft.
2: and Hunter Brown, who's an intriguing arm, and I could see why you might want to take a chance on Hunter Brown instead of Jamison Tyon, but if again, you're looking for innings, you're looking for wins, you could do a lot worse than Jamison Tyon. I will say this. The one thing about all those Cubs pitchers being pitched to contact guys and their defense being elite means that I, I think this entire rotation could outperform their fifth. So true. if you're looking at their numbers and you're like, oh, but their fifth is this, dah, 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 I, d- I think that this entire rotation could and should outperform their fifth as long as that defense is healthy.
1: That's a good point. Uh, Justin Steele, this is a guy I grew to love in a big way towards the end of last season. I love what he's got. Two pitches. Some people frown upon that. I don't care in this era of baseball. Uh, He knows how to use them. That works for me. You mentioned there might be some question marks about him, though. So what do you got on Justin Steele?
2: Well, the question marks for what you just said. It's two pitches. It's a slider and a fastball, and he's just very good at how he deploys them. I like Justin Steele a lot more than the numbers say I should. I, like, listen to Eno talk about him and how the pitches aren't good enough and there's not enough of them and this, that, and it shouldn't work and it shouldn't work. And then I think that's true, and I just watched it work. And I have watched Justin Steele not just get out of a lot of jams, but, like, be given the opportunity to get out of a lot of jams. So towards the end of last season, the thing I really liked was that David Ross would leave him in with two guys on in the sixth inning and in a one-run lead to see what would happen, and Justin Steele would get out of it. So it's he's taking advantage of the opportunities that he's given. He's a pretty gritty guy. That's, that slider is really, really good. Um, and so if you can get over the fact that it's only two pitches, he's going to get a lot of what, running room. One thing I will say about Justin Steele is that last year he kind of ran out of gas, uh, and it was his highest career innings ever at 119. So I doubt the Cubs let him go well over 150.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you there. You're not expecting the moon, but I think there's a lot of upside there compared to, like, I'm with you. Like, Eno says those things all the time. I'm like, yeah, but he's doing it. Sometimes the numbers aren't everything. They And usually Eno's numbers are legit. Like, I've, t- I've talked to Eno about it live in, at the barf drafts and stuff. Like, there's certain times where you've got to kind of watch what you see on the field and go, this is what's happening. I don't know how to explain to you, this is what's happening.
2: Well, and the guys you're giving up, to draft Justin Steele are the same guys. It's like at 277, you're going to take a chance on Ranger Suarez or Justin Steele. You're going to take a chance on Justin Steele or Bailey Ober. I kind of like Justin Steele more than both I of like
1: those I like stealing all those for sure. Uh, Drew Smiley's back in Chicago, and he had a run last year where he was very vi- fantasy viable for a bit. Like, he was very fun to watch Drew Smiley, especially in 15-team leagues. There's a definite upside there. And you mentioned the guys he's going next to. I'll take Drew Smiley over both of those guys right now. So, um all I, think day. AD, I think his ADP goes up personally, but um, what's your thoughts on Smiley?
2: All day, I'll take Drew Smiley at this range. He's he's going at an ADP of 429. You're passing up on Tarek Google or Cole Irvin. Like, pick Drew Smiley, people. That's easy. Yeah. The thing to keep in mind with Smiley is the same thing to keep in mind with Steele. The innings are going to be light. Smiley has not thrown more than 123 innings, I think, in the last, like, five years, and he's probably not going to do it this season either. But what that does mean is that those number six, seven guys for the Cubs that I was mentioning, those like serviceable number fives who are going to throw five innings and like do it with reasonable ratios, those guys are viable. Like you can draft them, and I think people should be drafting them. So yes, on Drew Smiley, he helped me out in a bunch of 15-teamers last year when there was literally nothing on the waiver wire, and I was like, let's see what Drew Smiley can do, and then he'd just throw up like, you know, zeros the whole way. I was like, thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he was was a beautiful uh, source on the waiver wire last year. Uh, Keegan Thompson, he's intriguing to me, especially in deep DC drafts. I find myself gravitating towards him as a late, just kind of like filler of my rotation. There was lots of like the ratios were better than I expected last year. Um, what are we thinking for him?
2: He is one of those products of the pitch lab. The ratios have been better than expected the entire time that he came up. I think I watched Keegan Thompson in like his first or second start with the Cubs when They were having some real big injury issues, like blank the Dodgers. (laughs) I was just laughing. I was like, how is this happening right now? I don't know what's going on, but he can do that. And and he's serviceable and good. I will say, I think that Hayden Wisniewski should get a shot at this rotation before Keegan Thompson does. I think Keegan Thompson is the long man out of the pen, but I think he's the type of long man you could, if not draft, pick up off the waiver wire when he's going to get some starts and hold on to him for a bit because I think the ratios are going to be good. He will get you wins, whether he's getting them vulture style or whether he's getting them because he's starting for a month while Drew Smiley has shoulder soreness or something. Um, and it's not going to look, again, no strikeouts, but wins ratios.
1: You mentioned Hayden Wisniewski, and um, you know he's got a 200-pick differential, Thompson 520, Wisniewski 320. You think he starts out in the rotation or should be the one that starts out in the rotation? what's kind of the outlook for him this year? Because, you know, he's going next to Brian Bayo and center Bayo's a guy I love, I love going into this year. But what's your thoughts on Wes Neski?
2: I love Bayo too. Um, <laughs> I hope we're not in drafts together. We like all the same
1: guys. Yep. Uh,
2: I think Hayden Wesneski gets a chance to start before Keegan Thompson does. I watched Hayden Wesneski pitch late last season. I had a couple of um, times where I had tickets like right behind home plate for his starts. And man, he was good. Now I will say this. Wozneski might look like he can give you some strikeouts because of some of those starts. His stri- high strikeout games were against like the Reds and the Pirates. He did not put up high strikeout numbers against the teams that were good and trying to compete. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying that I would temper those expectations if you're looking at some of those games where he was like, I think his debut was 5.1 innings of one hit baseball and like eight strikeouts or something ridiculous. It was, it was amazing and wonderful and great and brilliant. And I don't think that's what he's going to do every time out but I think he's really good. And I think the slider is really good, which is what the Cubs are banking on. It's not, um, it's not like the sweeper slider. It's the, it's, it's, or maybe it is the sweet. I mm, don't quote me on that. I might've just <laughs> mixed him up with Justin Steele, but my point is that like, Hey, the pitches are good and the pitches play. Uh, I like him better than the guys he is going around, except for maybe Bayo. I would take him over Guard. I'm not sure what I'd do with him and Bayo. And I think that he is the sixth starter. I think that, Keegan Thompson is the seventh starter slash long man, and I think that we we would be remiss if we didn't forget that the Cubs really want Kyle Hendricks to come back.
1: As I was say, what what do we know about Kyle Hendricks right now? Because he finished the season hurt. It was a rough rough year, to say it nicely, but it's not too long ago this guy was the ace. So what are we think, thinking here?
2: I don't think he's an ace anymore. Okay. um I think that Kyle Hendricks is working at driveline to get his fastball back up to eighty eight. And that's a quote that I saw from somebody. I think it was in an athletic Back part, to back 88. to 88. That was a quote from a Sahadev and, or PJ Mooney piece at The Athletic. So look, Kyle Hendricks can be effective with a fastball at 88 because he plays it off that changeup and the changeup's really good. And he's got a curveball that's pretty good too. And so he can be effective if he can do that. But I get real nervous when I hear that a guy is trying to get his below back to 88. So I, I would watch what he's doing in spring training, see if he's pitching at all. I think the Cubs would love Kyle Hendricks to be serviceable. He's in the last year of his deal, if I'm not totally mistaken, and it's a pretty cheap contract. So if they could get somebody to take that, they would do that. But I just, I'm not planning on Kyle Hendricks being back. And I think that with the signings the Cubs had this offseason, they're not planning on him being back either.
1: Yeah, I, I, I haven't even looked to draft him because I just don't know what he's going to do at this point in time. Now the bullpen. This is where it gets fun. You know, you had Brandon Hughes to show some signs. Uh, There's rumors of Alzalea, then they signed Boxberger, then they assigned Fulmer to really screw things up a couple days ago. So how would you approach this if you're entering a draft right now?
2: Well, let me just say, I am not in the business of speculating on saves in the Cubs bullpen. The most common question (laughs) I get on Twitter these days and in these podcasts, who's the Cubs closer? I do not know. Neither does Roster Resource. They have four guys listed as the Cubs closer right now. And I actually count seven guys that I would put in that conversation. So if you go to Roster Resource, they list Brandon Hughes, Michael Fulmer, Brad Boxberger, and Adbert Alzali as the Cubs closing options. I think the Alzali-Hughes part of that would be a platoon, weirdly, because like Hughes gets lefties out and Alzali gets righties out, and that would be almost like platoon closer already. Boxberger and Fulmer have both closed in the past and Jed Hoyer loves a guy who has some closing experience that steps up and does the thing. See David Robertson last year. Uh, There are some other options though that are also intriguing. Jeremiah Estrada has a live arm. Like if I was just looking at a guy who has the stuff that could close and I wanted to see what happened, Jeremiah Estrada might be that dude. They also signed Julian Mayweather, Merriweather. That is probably the best pure stuff guy in the pen. And I've heard people who are like love pitching stuff think that Merriweather is going to get a shot here. They also have Cody Hoyer on the IL and he was a re- part of the return for the Craig Kimberl trade along with Nick Madrigal. God help us. And Cody Hoyer is supposed to be back May or June. And that dude can throw like if he's healthy and can do the thing, I think he's actually the guy that they would want to put in that situation. And I have just named all of those dudes. And I did not talk about the guy who had the most saves for the Cubs in 2022, Rowan Wick. So That's I, true. Like, throw a dart, man. I don't know. Like, I think this is a closer by committee situation, and it might shake itself out sometime in March or April. But, like, honestly, I'm looking for saves somewhere else.
1: Smart move. Smart move, indeed. Um, they'll be there somewhere, but it's it's a tricky one. Like, when they signed Fulmer, it just made it even worse in the grand scheme of things. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, any other bullpen arms? You mentioned some good ones there with Wick, Estrada. We talked Hendricks already. Uh, anybody else that stands out to maybe keep an eye on?
2: Well, so I listed some of the guys who I think are going to get those starts when Smiley is on the IL or like Stroman's hurt or whatever is going on. And so I just want people to keep in mind that all of these dudes put up very serviceable ERA, pretty good whip, and they were going five or six innings, so they were getting wins last year. Javier Saad, totally serviceable number five dude. Adrian Sampson came back from Korea, totally serviceable number five dude. Um, we already talked about Wisniewski. We already talked about Hendricks. But the Cubs have a lot of these guys right now that they can just bring in and make their number five guy. And then the last guy I'll say who was got a lot of hype last year, I was at his mm-hmm. debut, don't forget about Caleb Killian. If they have figured out a way to make Caleb Killian back into what he was doing in the minors before he got called up, his first two starts with the Cubs were really, really good. It looked like it was legit. And then something just fell apart. Like you almost watched it happen where he fell apart in like the fifth inning uh, the pitching coach came out and talked to him. He got it back for half an inning and then he fell apart again and he never got it back. I, I have no idea what happened there. I'm sure they're working on it in the pitch lab, but Caleb Killian was the big return for Chris Bryant. And if he can get it back together, he did put up some really nice numbers at AAA at the end of 2021.
1: That would be quite interesting indeed. Uh, last but not least, before we rock on out of here, uh, let's talk some prospects. We've talked about Matt Mervis. We all know he's the guy. Hopefully, we see him sooner than later in Chicago. Is there anybody else of relevance when it comes to prospects for the Cubs this season?
2: The keyword there is this season. There are a lot of guys who I am interested in in the Cubs minor league system. Well, kind of interested in. Let me let me put this minor league system into perspective. A lot of Cubs fans on Twitter will tell you that the farm system is vastly improved and the trades were good. And look at how much better the farm system is. And and all of that is true. And also, this is not the farm system the Cubs had in 2014 and 2015. That farm system was filled with guys who were who were predicted to be all stars. They were like 55 plus value prospects. This farm system is filled with guys who are like 40 plus value prospects those are guys who might be able to play. They might even be able to excel. But the the thre- the floor and ceiling there is, is radically different. And so I don't think we're going to see a Pete Crow Armstrong in 2023. So unless you're in a dynasty or keeper league, there's really no reason to go after a Pete Crow Armstrong. I think that the Brennan Davis news that he was dealing with a stress reaction in his back and the, at the AFL, and that's why he got pulled so early, is really devastating. Like, I was hoping yeah. I'd see Brennan Davis in 2023. And I'm not sure we will. Uh, I admittedly, there's a whole range of ways that a stress reaction, like if they caught it really early, maybe it's not that bad. But if they didn't catch it really early, it could be really bad. Miguel Amaya was supposed to be up a long time ago. He was the guy, the catching heir apparent to Wilson Contreras, and he's been hurt a lot and was supposed to play in the fall league and then didn't play in the fall league. And so I'm not entirely sure if we'll see Miguel Amaya in 2023. So all of these guys are interesting if you're in a keeper or dynasty situation, but I just don't think they're interesting for this season.
1: Sounds like a plan here. Hopefully, Matt Mervis saves the day in that regard. Uh, what are your final thoughts on the Cubs before we wrap it up right now? Because there is fantasy relevance, but like the pitching we mentioned, it's kind of more of a you know fill in the blanks later in your drafts and starting hitting wise, you got some. Hopefully, Morel plays. We'll say that much. So, what, what do you got here?
2: I think it's a 72 to 75 win team unless the Cardinals and Brewers just utterly collapse for some reason. And like it's baseball. Stranger things have happened. That could happen. I think that if they come out of the gate strong, then perhaps they add at the trade deadline instead of subtracting at the trade deadline. And, And as a Cubs fan, I would be here for it, but I'm not anticipating that. And I think one thing that's really important about the 2023 Cubs that was also true about the 2022 Cubs, Their schedule is front-loaded, so they play their toughest competition before the trade deadline, and they play their weakest competition after it, and that's what happened last year, too. Analysts on MLB Network and various shows talk all the time about how strong the Cubs finished, that they finished with an over 500 record in the second half. Yes, and it was the weakest part of their schedule. They got absolutely beat down by the top of the league, so... If they come out strong against the top of the league, I am intrigued. And if not, I think this is still a 72 to 75 win team. And I'm looking for them to trade Cody Bellinger, trade if Hosmer's hot, trade Hosmer, trade Trey Mancini. Like all of these one-year deals are, are structured so that they can trade them for prospects in the event the team is not competitive.
1: Well, I hope for the best uh, for your sake. If not, you'll get cheap tickets again, and you get to go watch some Cubs games. Uh, <laughs> so before we head on out of here, I want to remind everybody where they can find you and all the good stuff you got going on.
2: Yeah, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah on Twitter and Mastodon and post and like all the other places, we were really worried that we'd have to all go to in the event that Twitter died. I think I'm on Instagram, too, but I'm not nearly as prolific <laughs> on Insta, Um But keep an eye there for the next moves on this um, Island of SB Nation Misfit Toys podcast thing, because I think we've got some good stuff going on there, including uh, my first fantasy baseball show, which I'm very excited and hope hope will come out right around baseball coming out at the start of March.
1: That'll be awesome, everybody. Make sure you follow her on Twitter, like she said, at BCB underscore Sarah. Sarah Sanchez, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining me. I can't wait to do it again sometime.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I had a
1: blast. Everybody, this was your Bench with Bubba, Chicago Cubs season preview. Catch you guys next time.